0: Well, good morning, church. How are you today? We have the opportunity this morning to continue our conversation we've been in the last two weeks about the table uh, we're in a, a sort of a little mini series here in preparation for Easter called a place at the table and you've seen the, the chairs and the you know the we the table obviously down here in front by the way if you haven't taken the opportunity to carve uh, something of who God created you to be into the table yet if you haven't had the, the ability to participate in one of those meals I would still encourage you to sign up for that and get and get involved but if you don't have the time to do that midweek uh, certainly come and, uh, and see what's already been happening and add, add your carving to the table. We'd love to have you participate in that. But we've been talking about what the table means, and in our first two weeks in this series we talked about the, the table as a place of community, uh, and then last week we talked about the idea of, of the table as a place of celebration. Now this morning we continue this conversation and sort of this uh, this contemplation, if you will, about the table as uh, as prepared for us by God and all that it means, and this morning I want to talk with you about the, the table as a place of remembrance, and by the very nature of a meal table, you know, certainly the table is always a place where we're remembering, right? You can't help when you're sitting at a table of thinking of all the meals that have come before. You think of other tables you've sat around and other company you've kept, maybe other meals you've had, both good and bad. Certainly when we sit at a table, uh, we find ourselves telling stories and remembering times in the past, the time when, you know, Aunt Sally choked on a piece of a biscuit or whatever, like those stories kind of come around having traveled. Traveled the country with a band for a while. Uh, we we did a lot of eating in people's homes, and so I have a, about a million funny meal stories. Right, uh, there was a month solid. We there was one time when we were on tour, traveling the country, where for a month every night we had some kind of enchilada right and it was just it didn't matter what so we were in different states we were in different people's homes and every night they'd be like we've got something special prepared for you and we're like what's it gonna be please let it be a Costco lasagna you know and they'd be like we made you our famous enchiladas and we be like okay we just had that the last 28 nights but all right you know um, I, I've, I have all kinds of funny memories, memories of meals. One of the, one of the funniest things, or not the funniest, but one of the weirdest things that happened. We were in Minnesota doing a concert, and uh, before the concert, we went over this very generous lady, invited our whole band over to her, dinner, uh, to her house, and she says, I'm going to make you my famous dinner. Before your concert, I'm, I've made you my, this is the meal that my family has loved for generations. She says, we call it uh, Yum Yum Hamburger. And I thought, please let that just be a hamburger. You know what I mean? And uh, she brings out this bowl, a huge bowl of uh, kind of gray, sticky, like slushy meat. I don't know how to describe it, but it's like a big gray bowl of meat and then some like, you know, sesame seed buns and then like a big spoon. And she goes, all right, have at it, you know, and we're all kind of looking at the the bowl of yum yum hamburger and we're thinking, you know, we're going to need a little more information about what's going on inside the bowl here. And so I said, you know, yum yum hamburger, I I see that. that this is your family's favorite, but can you tell me just a little bit about what's in it? And she goes, well, that's that's the genius of Yum Yum Hamburger. It's always different. And I said, I, I, don't, I don't know, genius, maybe genius not the right word, you know, maybe that's not the... She goes, you know, it's got ketchup and mustard and mayonnaise and Tabasco and just you just take all the different condiments that you have on hand and you just sort of dump them in there and mix them up and it just makes this really incredible mixture that and you never know what you're going to get. And I'm like, well, I, I kind of think I know what I'm getting, you know, I think, I, I think I'm probably going to get Giardia, you know. And uh, so... So I'm watching my wife out of the corner of my eye And uh, I'm trying to think How am I going to get through this weird meal And she does the most brilliant thing She pretends to scoop up some of the meat She has the bun And then she she puts the spoon lower than the table And the bun lower than the table And she doesn't actually put any on the bun and puts the spoon back and closes it up and then eats it pinched together. So it looks like she got some yum yum hamburger, but she didn't. That was a brilliant move, right? I learned at that meal. I did the same thing. I just had a hamburger bun for dinner uh, because I just didn't think I could chance it. You learn as you go. And you, you, these memories, sort of this collective memory, when you think back on all the meals you've had, both incredible meals, maybe sometimes heartbreaking meals, You can't help when you sit at the table, but think about the times that you've been at the table prior. And some of those are happy memories. Some of those are hard memories. Some of them are difficult. But one of the things that's beautiful, in 1 Corinthians, when Paul is repeating for us his understanding of the Lord's Supper as relayed in in the Gospels, but we're gonna look at Luke 22 next week specifically. But as Paul is relaying this for us in 1 Corinthians, he says in verse 23, I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way he also took the cup after supper Saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood Do this as often as you drink it In remembrance of me Jesus chose the table Something that was familiar Something that that was absolutely a part of our lives You and I are going to be at a table Every day of some kind For the rest of our lives And we've been at a table of some kind Every day up to this point Jesus chooses something that is Absolutely familiar to us Something that is part and parcel of all of our lives, no matter where you come from or where you're going, he chooses the table to be a place of remembrance because in some ways that's what it already is. What Jesus is demonstrating in his establishment of the Lord's Supper is his ability to point out to us that all things have redemptive potential. That everything has redemptive potential. That even something that feels like a normal table, a meal that we have to do in order to get through the day and in order to live until tomorrow, that that actually has potential to glorify God. That it has potential to draw us toward him. That it has potential to remind us of who he is and who we are. So when Jesus chooses the table, when he establishes the Lord's Supper with his disciples, he he does it brilliantly because what he's doing is he's taking hold of something that is already familiar. You and I, we've been eating our whole lives, and if we want to continue to live, we'll continue to eat. We're reminded of other tables and other meals and other guests, and it's also true that in the remembrance and the familiarity of it, we're also reminded of grievances, aren't we? You can remember meals where your uncle said something unkind to you and you got up and stormed away. You can remember meals where you had invited somebody and they didn't show up. You can remember having to sit across a table from somebody that you were in the midst of a fight with. Every time we come to a table there's also the need for us to forget and to forgive. To move on, to be the bigger person, to set aside the grievances, to forget about Yum Yum Hamburger maybe, right? If I allowed Yum Yum Hamburger to inform every meal I had after that, I would never want to eat again. I have to be able to think about Yum Yum Hamburger in some ways and move on from that in order to have the next meal. But that also is an exercise of remembrance. There's so much remembrance that happens at the table. You have to remember the things you're allergic to. You have to remember how to use a knife and a fork. You have to remember whether or not you're a vegan, right? Every time you sit down at the table, remembrance is required not only to think about what to do, but to remember what not to do. Brilliantly, the Lord Jesus sets his disciples at the table and he says, as often as you come to this meal, do it in remembrance of me. And that's also a piece of the gene. Not only is the table a a, a familiar thing to us, the remembrances that happen at the table are familiar to us. Not only is it a place of familiarity, but it's also a place of repetition. By the very nature of the way we've been created, and we've talked about this over the last couple of weeks, you and I were created with needs. God didn't have to create us with the need for food or the need for shelter or the need for clothing. He didn't have to create us with any of those needs. He could have created us in such a way that we would be entirely self-sufficient but he has created us inherently with needs to drive us back to the much bigger picture that there is a great spiritual need that each and every one of us have. Jesus knew when he looked at his disciples and he says, as often as you do this, do it in remembrance of me, he knew that there would by necessity be repetition. That there would be repetition, that we would be coming back to tables every day, some one, two, three times, some of you, four, I mean, if you're eating a Taco Bell, fourth, fifth meal, who knows, right? And repetition sometimes gets a bad rap in Christianity, right? Sometimes we talk about repetition even when it comes to singing worship songs or whatever. We go, oh, you know, you pick this, song, this phrase and you repeat it and you repeat it. The, you know, sometimes the hymns can be repetitive. Sometimes the worship choruses can be repetitive. And we go, oh, repetition is always a bad thing. But that isn't necessarily true. It can be a bad thing if your brain checks out and if your heart goes somewhere else. If you're using it as a mantra to sort of empty yourself of all conscious thought, then yeah, absolutely it's a negative thing, repetition. But there is also the truth that in repetition, we have the opportunity to deepen and widen our understanding, right? The more I do a thing, the better I get at it. The more I ride my bike, the less I have to, you know, think about the actual motor skill of it. The more I practice the guitar, which I don't practice very much, but the more I practice the guitar and repeat those movements, the less I have to worry about the motor skill and the more I can focus on the passion behind it, right? There is something really brilliant in repetition. Jesus says, as often as you come to the table, do it in remembrance of me, and he knows that we will, by necessity, be coming to the table often. There's not just familiarity, there's repetition, and that's a good thing because it deepens and widens our experience. I would guess that for some of you who've been following Jesus for a long time, I would hope that for some of you who've been following Jesus for a long time, you come to celebrate the giving of the Lord's body and his blood, in order to establish a new covenant between us and the Father, that it isn't just routine, that it isn't just you know, sort of a, a bullet point on the agenda of our service, that it's not a thing we come to out of uh, you know, just sort of rote regulation, but the, rather, rather in the repetition of it, your, your experience of who Christ is and what he gave, the giving of his body and his blood, your, your experience and your understanding of that is deepening and widening in the repetition. We learn as we eat, we learn as we share meals We learn what we like and what we don't like We learn how to navigate certain kinds of foods My wife and I just went this last week We just went to a restaurant in Chino We were driving to a concert in Pomona And I was looking for a restaurant We went to this place in Chino that was awesome By the way, if you're looking for a good restaurant in Chino I I don't know that you'd be doing that But we went to a place called Owen's Bistro There's my little plug for them And uh, they served us this soup at the beginning of our meal That had like full on grilled shrimp in it Right, with the tails and the whole thing In the soup and my wife and I kind of look at each other and we're like, I don't really know what to, how do, what, what do you, do? like can you, do you get the shrimp on the spoon? Is that what you, and then in that case, what do you, how do you eat it? So we finally just went like fingers in. I just stuck my fingers in the soup and I pulled the shrimp out and I ate it like it was delicious. But you're sort of learning over time how to navigate. The next time I see a shrimp in my soup, which I hope won't be too long, I'll have a better understanding of what to do. You see how the repetition informs the future? That I'm learning as I go. I've learned these habits and patterns. That's one of the values of the repetition of the table. Jesus says, whenever you come to it, do it in remembrance of me. He understands there will be a familiarity. He understands there will be repetition. But there's also something really active in the table. In in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, as relayed to us, it's interesting to note. It says in verse 24, when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. It's important this morning as we talk about the table as a place of remembrance that it isn't just familiarity, it's not just repetition, but it's also a place of activity. Because when Jesus calls us to remember, he's not just calling us to an intellectual endeavor, right? He's not just saying, think about me, or think about what I've done, or think about my body and my blood. He's calling us to action. He says, do this in remembrance. And that is completely in line with the biblical understanding of remembrance from the very beginning. If you look at the Old Testament, every time we hear this idea of remembrance, it's never simply just an intellectual thing. For instance, um, you could turn, you don't have to turn there, we'll put it on the screen, but here's just one good example. In Genesis chapter 40, you guys might be familiar with the story of Joseph, right? Joseph is sold into slavery by his brothers, he gets into service in Potiphar's house, he's lied about there and thrown into prison, right? Joseph ends up in prison in Egypt, and while he's in prison, he bumps into the cupbearer and the baker, you kind of remember that story maybe? It's interesting that when he talks to them about the future, Genesis chapter 40 verse 14, he says uh, to to the cupbearer, he says, only remember me, this is Joseph speaking, only remember me when it is well with you, and please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh, and so get me out of this house, right? He says, hey, when you leave the prison, do me a favor and remember me, mention me to Pharaoh so that I don't have to stay in jail. What's interesting is that the word that's translated remember at the beginning of that verse is the word zakar. That's the Hebrew word zakar, and it does mean remembrance, but what's fascinating is that in that very same verse when he says mention me to pharaoh that's the same word zakar he says remember me and mention me same thing remembrance that leads to action All throughout the Bible, we see God's people calling out to him, right? We see see God's people calling to God and saying, remember us. And when they say to God, remember us, in Jeremiah and, and in Isaiah, in 2 Kings, when Hezekiah says, remember me, right? He's not just saying intellectually know that I'm here. Intellectually, God, I want you to be aware that you created me and that I exist. When God's people call out to God for him to remember them, they're always calling for him to act. When samson calls out to god at the end of his life and says god Remember me it's tied with rescue and strength Rescue me when moses speaks to god in exodus chapter 32 Remember when moses goes up to receive the law right and meanwhile down on the uh, in the valley All the people have taken their gold and they formed it into a calf and they're worshiping a false god God is going to destroy the people. And in Exodus 32, Moses says to God, verse 13, Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, and all this land that I have promised I will give to your offspring, and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his people. Moses doesn't just look at God and say, Hey, remember Isaac, Abraham, and Jacob. Right? Right? So that God would go, oh yeah, those guys were cool. That We had some good times together, Isaac, Aaron. Yeah, thanks for reminding me of them, Moses. No, Moses is saying, remember the promises that you made. Remember that you are our God and we are your people and you have promised to guide us. That call to remembrance in the Old Testament was always a call to action. When God says to us, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy, He's not saying, know that the Sabbath day exists. We all know that, what's he calling us to? Do it, keep it, right? Remember, remembrance is tied with action. Remembrance is always tied with action. Our table remembrance, the table remembrance that happens here is not just a place that God redeems. It's not just a thing that Jesus chooses because it's familiar to us, because we've got shared stories and shared experiences, because in the very nature of a meal there is familiarity, or because of the repetition that he knew we would be coming back to again and again and again. But the reason Jesus chooses the table to remind us is that it requires movement, it requires action. When Jesus says, remember me, He says what first, do this in remembrance. It's a call to do, it's a call to action. So what exactly does that mean? When he says do this in remembrance of me, what does he mean, do what, eat bread? Drink wine, is that all all that he's pushing us to? Just make sure you, what, bless it, and break it and distribute it in remembrance of him? No, there, there's something broad. I want you to take a step back. I think sometimes in our, in our sort of practical repetition and familiarity with the Lord's Supper, instituted by Christ, I think sometimes when we think Jesus is saying, do this in remembrance of me, all we're thinking about is the recognition of his body and his blood given in order to establish a new covenant. But there's, much, there's something much broader happening there that he's inviting us into. When he says, do this in remembrance of me, he's not just talking about these elements, he's talking about the whole picture. So take a couple steps back with me and get a broad view of what's happening. This is the night, Paul says, that Jesus was betrayed. So in the context of oncoming suffering and pain, in the context of great difficulty and great betrayal, in that context, Jesus sits down for a meal with his disciples. And he doesn't just sit down for a meal with them, he actually says in Luke chapter 22, in Luke chapter 22 verse 15 he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. So as we take a step back, we don't so narrowly focus on the body and the blood or the the bread and the wine, we step back a little bit and we see, here's Jesus fully conscious of his coming suffering and yet eager to sit with these numbskulls, right? to sit down with these rapscallions, this, this, uh, this group of guys that he knows. So here we are, stepping back, taking a broad view. He's entering into a meal with them. He's sharing his presence with guys, some of whom he knows will betray him in hours. Some of whom he knows, despite their bragging, will deny him three times. And he doesn't skip over them when he passes out the bread. He doesn't say, oh, this is my blood that I'm pouring out in order to establish a new covenant between you and my father. And you can all drink of it except Peter. Peter, you don't get any, you loser. Have water, right? Here you go, right? Judas, this isn't for you. No, Jesus sits down at the table with these guys, some of whom are absolutely problematic. And he offers them his presence. He offers them his grace. He offers them his love at the table because of who he is. When we think about the table, we're not just remembering the body and the blood, we're remembering him there, physically present. We're remembering his presence despite betrayal. We see him giving thanks, right? It says that on the night he was betrayed, he gave thanks. What in the world does Jesus have to give thanks for? He's the creator of all things. It all belongs to him, right? When he wants to cook a fish breakfast in John 21, he cooks a fish breakfast, and we don't even, we're not even told where he gets the fish. Why? Because all the fish belong to Jesus already, and yet at this particular meal, Jesus gives thanks for the bread. What's he doing? He's showing that, that there's always room for gratitude that there's always room to be grateful for what you've received, no matter how you've received it or whether or not you even necessarily needed it at the time. He's setting a pattern for us of being grateful to God. You see, when we step back from the picture, when we look at it a little more broadly, what do we see? We see something that's bigger than just bread and just wine. Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. As we step back, we see him consciously asking us to remember, what's that? That's him recognizing that we are prone to forget. Him recognizing that in a couple of hours they're gonna strike the shepherd and the sheep are gonna scatter. And so despite the fact that he's got suffering on the horizon, despite the fact that the culmination of all he's come to do, taking the sin of the world upon himself and dying in a horrendous way on our behalf is right there on the precipice, he's still cognizant enough to look at his disciples and go, I wanna provide something for you. I want you to remember this. He's still discipling. He's still teaching. He's still leading. You know, I think for many of us, when we know we have pain and difficulty on the horizon, we become absolutely internally focused. When we know there's difficult down the road, when we know things are gonna be hard around the the corner, we become so internally focused that we forget about discipleship. We forget about what we're leading other people into, not the Lord Jesus. On the night he was betrayed, what's he doing? He's still teaching. He's still guiding. He calls them to remembrance. He shows them his body and his blood. We don't, we don't wanna minimize the giving of his body and blood in this. We don't wanna minimize the fact that in order to establish this new covenant, he does absolutely give his body for us. That he pours out his blood in order to pay the penalty for our sin, to establish this new covenant for us. That's not a small thing. We don't wanna skip over it. We don't wanna minimize it. Jesus is pointing us to things that should be familiar, that should be repeated, that we should be actively engaged in. Not only that, we see as we step back and look at the picture, when he calls us to do this in remembrance of him, we also see the picture of someone who's anticipating, even in the midst of the difficulty, he's anticipating a future meal to come. It tells us in Mark, in Mark chapter 14, verse 25, Jesus says, truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Even at this meal, right? Even as he sits down with his disciples, he's already looking ahead at a future celebration. He's already looking ahead to another meal that will be celebrated with the Father, he says, even in what's rec- recollected for us in 1 Corinthians 11, it off, whenever you eat this bread and drink this wine, you what? You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Jesus is already anticipating his return. He's already anticipating that sort of final, completed victory, even in the midst of the pain of the moment. And so when Jesus looks at us, When he looks at his disciples and says, do this in remembrance of me, that remembrance isn't just think about me or just bring to mind some things that I did. Bring to mind my body and my blood. No, he's saying actively enter into this entire picture. The presence of God, the grace of God, the community of God, the discipleship of God, the sacrifice of God, the future thinking and anticipation, the eagerness of God. Enter into all of that as often as you do it. And what's interesting about those words, as often as you do it, in the church we sort of said, well... As a church, you, you can sort of choose to, to take communion whenever you want. You know, you can, it doesn't give us real strict guidelines. So some churches celebrate communion every week. Some do it every month like we do here. Some do it a couple of times a year and you've sort of got a lot of room. Look, Jesus wasn't thinking, of, when he said, as often as you do this, do it in remembrance of me, he wasn't thinking about some sort of organized ceremony in the church. He was thinking about a meal. When he says, as often as you do it, What's he pointing at? He's pointing at the fact you're gonna eat every day for the rest of your lives. And so as often as you come to the table, if you're one of those guys who just eats one big meal or you're somebody who eats three times a day or if you're somebody who's hitting Taco Bell at 2 a.m., as often as you come to the table, remember me. Actively remember me. I actually went to a church for a little while in Reedley that um, one Sunday they substituted the bread and the juice with, uh, with orange juice and pancakes, and it was, it was troubling, right? I remember, like, as a, I was sitting in the crowd thinking, like, I don't, number one, I don't know if we should be doing this. Number two, I don't know if lightning's gonna strike. Number three, I feel really uncomfortable eating the pancakes and the orange juice in remembrance of Jesus. But the pastor and the elders of that church were trying to make the point that you and I aren't necessarily always gonna have access to these weird little church crackers, whatever those things are, right? And we're not necessarily always going to have I hope in your house you don't have any tiny plastic cups of grape juice. That's super weird too, right? <laughs> but you know what you will always have? You will always have bread. You will always have wine or you will have something to drink that is reflective of the sacrifice of Christ. Right? You're gonna to come to the table again and again and again, and what happens if, if we start to think that Jesus is establishing a cute little ceremony to happen in the church once a month or once a year, then we miss out on the fact that Jesus was trying to say something much broader. Actively remember me. Every time you come to a table, do it like this. Do you consciously think about the Lord Jesus every time you sit down for a chimichanga? You consciously think about the Lord Jesus every time you sit down for a BLT? I, I, I bet that you don't. And, and part of the problem is that what we've done is we've said, well, no, there, there is a place for remembering Jesus, and it's once a month on the third Sunday with the weird cracker and the tiny cup. Shame on us. That's not what Jesus was doing. Otherwise, he would have got weird crackers and tiny cups. What Jesus was sitting down to was a, was a celebration meal. Something that was familiar to them. Something that was repetitive. Something that was active. And don't miss this. Fourthly, I want you to see that when we talk about the table as a place of remembrance, the table is something necessary. There is a necessity to it. You and I have to eat. We have to eat or we'll die. Jesus knew that there was a necessity to the table that would bring us back again and again, that it wasn't the kind of thing we would opt out to, and he chooses to tie our remembrance of him to the table because we might sometimes lose track of how necessary he is to us, but you and I will never lose track of how needy we are for another taco or how needy we are for another cheeseburger in our shame, we do sometimes forget the fact that we are desperately in need of Christ. But our stomach starts to rumble, and you remember that you need breakfast. And so Jesus ties our remembrance of him with the necessity of our, of our meals, so that we'll understand that more than we ever need a taco or more than we ever need a sandwich or more than we ever need a pancake, we desperately need him. Why? Because we are people who are prone to forget. What is it we're celebrating on Palm Sunday, right? What we're celebrating on Palm Sunday is a group of people in the triumphal entry. Jesus comes in and the people are shouting, as Christina's already said, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, right? Hosanna. Woohoo! And four stinking days later, they're yelling, crucify him. What happened there? Did they not mean it on Palm Sunday? No, I think, they, I think they meant it. I think we're just people who are prone to wander. I think we're people who are prone to forget, prone to leave the God we love, as the psalm says, right? Or the, the song says, Right? that we are by nature forgetful people. That's why God has called his people to remember him again and again. So much of what we've been studying in the book of Hebrews is to look at the people of Israel and say, they saw God and they saw his mighty deeds and they tasted something of the movement of his spirit and yet they did not couple their knowledge of him with faith. Don't fall into that trap. Don't forget what you've seen. Don't forget. Remember there is a necessity for us in remembering the lord jesus that is greater than our necessity for food but physiologically it doesn't always feel that way deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 10 It says, when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob to give you with great and good cities that you did not build and houses full of all good things that you did not fill and cisterns that you did not dig and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant and when you eat and are full, right? When you eat and are full, verse 12, then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery, what's the implication? That when things are good, when our stomachs are full, when we have cisterns and wells and fig trees and olive trees and we we got all this other stuff that we need, that in those moments where we feel satisfied, there is an inclination on the part of a human being to go, I did all this, I got myself here. Look at how good I have it, look at how blessed I am, look at this house, look at these clothes, look at this family, I am such a lucky guy, I've made so many good decisions. And Jesus is looking at his disciples and saying, when you come into my kingdom, don't forget how you got there. Don't take it for granted. The people of Israel are warned when you come into the promised land and you have great cities that you didn't build and wells you didn't dig and your stomachs are full, take care lest you forget the God who brought you there. You see, there's a necessity for us to remember Paul will say in 2 Timothy, remember Jesus Christ, right? Remember Jesus Christ. And it says in John 14, 6, the Holy Spirit himself helps us to remember. John 14, 25, Jesus says, these things I have spoken to you while I'm still with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. The Holy Spirit himself working to remind us because we're prone to forget. Think about, think about Memorial Day for a second, right? Memorial Day in our country, which exists uh, specifically to remember the sacrifices of those who've given their lives to ensure our freedom as Americans. But you know, for, for most people, when Memorial Day comes around, you know what they're excited about? Sales. Or getting a couple of days off work, right? All the HDTVs at Best Buy are gonna go on sale at Memorial Day, right? All the technologies, the washing machines and the dishwashers and the refrigerators, what can I get at Memorial Day? And there is a tendency for us to sometimes look at the remembrance that happens at the table and to think of it in terms of what can I get? What can I get instead of remembering what was freely given? How sad it is in our country when we take something like Memorial Day and we make it about what we can get instead of what was given. And how much greater the sorrow, how much greater the sadness when God's people come to his table and all they think about is what they can get as opposed to what has been given. Jesus understood when he established the table as a place of remembrance that it was necessary, that it was familiar, that it would be repeated, that it was something active And the last thing I want you to see this morning is Jesus knew when he called us to remember at the table, he knew that there was something timeless about it. He knew that there was something timeless about it. Let me, let me explain to you what I mean. Every time you and I sit down at a table, we are informed. As I've kind of already said, we're informed by what's happened before. We're informed by every meal we've ever had before, that one. We're informed by all the company we've had before. You choose the place you want to sit, and you choose the things you want to eat and the things you want to drink based on your remembrance of the meals that have come before. You've established your preferences over time. You know how much salt you like. You know that you don't want habanero salsa, right, because it melts your face you've learned these things over time. Every time you come to the table, that entering into a meal is a culmination of learned experience from the past. Every meal. You're not making the same mistakes I hope. You're not eating a habanero pepper pepper at every meal you go. You did that once and you don't have to make that mistake again, right? When we come to the table, there is something timeless because we're bringing our memories of the past and we're uniting them with the meal we're having in the present. The meal we're having in the present at every table, at the lunch table you go to later today, you will be uniting your meals of the past with your current meal in the present, and you'll be consuming that food in order to give you the energy to proceed into the future to consume another meal. Every meal table is the culmination of the past, present, and future. Remembered learning, present provision, right? And future fuel, right? Every table. The same thing is true with the table of discipleship, with the table of remembrance that Jesus establishes. When Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, as often as you do this, do it in remembrance of me. Do it in remembrance of me. When you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you'll actively proclaim my death until I return what he's inviting us into is not just a moment-by-moment thing. This isn't something that we celebrate individually once a month at this church. No, you see, when we, when we come to the communion table, when we come to remember the Lord Jesus, and by the way, it is worth also noting that he doesn't call us to remember what he did. He doesn't say, as often as you come to the table, remember what I did, or think about what you gained. What does he say? Do these things in remembrance of... Me, He's calling us not to remember his action necessarily, not to focus on his action, not to focus on what we receive, but literally to focus on he himself. As often as you come to the table, do so in remembrance of me. But when we come to the table, check this out, there is, there is the combination, the culmination of past, present, and future. There's something timeless that happens. Because, for instance, when we take communion in a few minutes, when we take communion, we're not taking communion like the apostles. We're taking communion with the apostles. We're not taking communion like our grandparents. We're not taking communion like the persecuted church in India. We're not taking communion like them. We're joining in the same remembrance with them. There's something timeless about the table in that it is the culmination both of historical remembrance and Present remembrance and future anticipation what we enter into here is something that isn't just a moment, it's not just a Sunday morning activity, it's something much bigger and broader that we enter into something with those who have gone before us and at the same time we enter into something with those who will come after us I'm going to invite the band to come back on stage this morning as we've been talking about the table as a place of remembrance, as we've been talking about its familiarity we've been talking about its necessity about its activity about its repetition and about its timelessness we're going to have the opportunity to celebrate this this morning our our uh, our team is going to come the the, uh, the communion team is going to come and they're going to distribute these elements the bread and the cup i know i know i made fun of them a minute ago but they're useful tools right so forgive me for that but the cracker is just a cracker don't make any mistake And the juice in the cup is just juice in a cup. You don't gain anything. There's 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 nothing magical or mystical about these elements. There never was. There wasn't anything magical or mystical about the bread on Jesus' table. No, what's beautiful about it is the remembrance of who he is. These are just tools to help us remember. But as we remember together this morning, I'd like to encourage you to, to go one step beyond or maybe to take a couple steps back and don't just remember the body and the blood. But remember the whole picture, the presence of an incarnate God sitting at a table with suffering over the horizon. The presence of that incarnate God sitting at a table with betrayers and liars and cowards. The presence of that incarnate God to be teaching even in that moment. The presence of that incarnate God to point us to the gift of his body and blood shed on our behalf. The presence of that Savior, looking in anticipation at future meals to come, longing for that day of resurrection as we remember him. I invite you to take these elements and to hold them in your hand. We're going we're to lead in some music here. You're welcome to sing along. You're also welcome to just reflect. You might want to sit quietly. You might want to stand. You might want to sing. But I'm going to invite you to take these elements in remembrance of him. The table is intended to be a place of remembrance. Don't do it as routine, but do it in remembrance the way Jesus established it. Let's worship him together through communion now.